Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello again and welcome back. It's the Book of Joe podcast with Tom Verducci and Joe Madden. And this is a special World Series wrap-up edition. Wrap-up because that's what the Texas Rangers did in five games. Winning the World Championship, the 119th World Series. Joe, I didn't expect it to be over in five that quickly when it began. But after seeing those teams the first couple of games, I will be honest with you, Joe. I thought Texas was the better team, and I thought they did have a chance to win in five. So um, give me your quick thumbnail take on on what happened here in the World Series for Texas to take Arizona out in five. Yeah, I, I agree with you just from a distance, and you, you had a much better seat than I did, but it just on TV appeared as though Texas was a better ball club, more well-rounded, better lineup up and down. Uh, you know, I still like the, I'd like the Diamondbacks pitching a little bit. I think a uh, team on the field – they were definitely surpassed. They had this two superstars that came through definitely and another one that got uh, injured, but they're talking about Seeger and Simeon and, and then of course uh, <clears throat> Garcia. They were just different. They were better. They're just better. They're a better ball club um, during the course of the season where they went up with right around 90 wins. They should have amassed at least 95. They're in the trouble a couple of times, but they were, they were, they were the better ball club. So that, that kind of went out in the end that the better team won. Um, I think the youth and inexperience of uh, overall of uh, the Diamondbacks kind of started to show through there at the end. You know, they were like almost um, so naive to the point that they won 84 games and who cares? We're still going to win the World Series. Um, they, 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 they carried that attitude a long way in a good way. I mean, I'm not denigrating it. The team that I had with the Cubs won the World Series in 16. I think we were considered at that time the youngest team ever. 
to win the, the World Series. I don't know if that's still true or not, but yeah, there was a lot of the inexperience showed up. Um, and then I just, like I said, the real Evaldi, uh, Montgomery, and then the position players of Texas kind of took over. Yeah, I want to get back to what you mentioned about the, the youthfulness of Arizona in a second, because mm-hmm. uh, it's an important point, and there is a, 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 a theme there or a thread with your 16 Cubs team. But mm-hmm. let me start with this, Joe. Game two, everybody got excited about how Arizona was playing this small ball style of game, right? Putting bunts down, running first to third, stealing bags. Listen, I, I love to see that style of play. I'm glad it's back in the game. But I have to say this. You're not winning a championship playing that way. I think it's it, what it is, is it's a compliment to having power. You need all kinds of avenues to win a game. If that is your only avenue to win a game, it's going to be really, really difficult. I thought the the praise of small ball went way overboard. Let me give you some numbers here. Arizona out hit Texas in this series 270 to 218. Arizona had more hits than Texas in the World Series, 47 to 38. It's not even close so far. Stolen bases, not close. Arizona, 7 to 1. Sacrifice hits, Arizona, 5 to nothing. Runners in scoring position, both at bats and hits, Arizona had the advantage there too. They lost the series in five games. Why? Simple as this, folks. Texas out-homered Arizona 8-3. to That's what changes a game, and I'm sorry. Nobody wants to hear this. We all want to fall in love with small ball, and again, I'm saying I love it too. But you're not winning the World Series if you can't slug the baseball. You need both. So that's my take on it, Joe. I mean, I'm interested to hear your take. I know you're like me. You like to see guys move the ball. I love having speed back in the game. No one's saying that we want to go back to three true outcomes. We're not saying that. But Texas won this World Series with one stolen base and no sacrifice hits. And they had nine fewer base hits overall than the Arizona Diamondbacks. And they won the series quickly in five games. Yeah, I want it all. Uh, I want to be able to do all those different things. That, to me, is still the right way to build a team. There's going to be nice that you do outslug the other team. And there's going to be times when the other team's pitching is so good maybe for a series, whatever, that you'd really just, they're not throwing you home runs. I still believe that pitchers throw home runs more than hitters hit them. So I, I like the idea that you're able to do all these different things, move the ball when it's necessary, create a run when it's necessary. And again, you're talking about different parts of the batting order normally. And when it comes to the power and the hitting and slug and all that kind of good stuff, primarily it should be coming from maybe your first six. And I've talked about that first seven guys, uh, the American League lineup that I've always loved. And then uh, there's going to be some guys in that lineup that just aren't that guy. They're not that capable of hitting the ball out of the ballpark with any consistency. When they try, it kind of screws up, screws them up for days or weeks at a time. So I like the idea there's going to be a part of the batting order that you need to be more creative with, and there's a part of the batting order you just leave them alone. So I, I think that's kind of – I've always been there, um, you know, the top part of the batting order, whether it was the the Cubs with Fowler and KB and Rizzo and – Zoe uh, in the World Series in 2016, I think Addison Russell might hit fifth or sixth in that lineup, but he had some serious pop as he demonstrated. So you leave like guys like that alone normally, but the bottom part of the batting order normally for me is where you're going to mess around a little bit. And that's where I like to be able to be creative as a National League manager when the rules were National League. Um, it was important to be able to do those different kind of things. I think as the rules exist today, it's probably somewhat less important 
But final point again, I just can't overemphasize, not everybody in your lineup is capable of doing those things. And if they're not, you really want to be able to utilize their abilities as much as you possibly can and scratch out runs at the bottom by utilizing different methods. Yeah, that's well said. I think that blend you're talking about um, is really important because you're not always going to hit home runs. You can't rely on that. Um, but on the same token, the flip side is you can't always just single and bunt your way to a world championship. And I'll take you back to, to me, a key point in game five, third inning and Corbin Carroll, the leadoff hitter leads off with a four with a base hit first pitch base hit and Kittel Marte walks on four pitches first and second, nobody out. Nathan Valdi has already walked three guys. I mean, it's clear that he's just trying to still get his feet on the ground here. First and second, nobody out zero, zero game. The number three hitter for Arizona is Gabriel Moreno. As soon as he was walking to the plate, I looked up, does this guy have any sacrifice bunts during the season? The answer is no. And the fact that I looked that up, anticipating a bunt there, to me, that's not a good sign for the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's your number three hitter. And I understand the importance, and I talked to Tori Lovello about this before the game. Super important to get the first point on the board in an elimination game. I get that. That's the, and it turns out Moreno did this on his own, by the way, because they did talk about emphasizing scoring the first point of the game. Your number three hitter with your season on the line bunts in the third inning, moving up the runners. The next batter is your cleanup hitter, Christian Walker, who doesn't move the baseball. He strikes out. Tommy Pham, your five hitter, grounds out. Opportunity gone. Uh, give me your take on that, Joe. I didn't like the bunt by Moreno. He's hitting third. He didn't have a great series. I get that. But if anything, it spoke to me about the fact that Arizona just doesn't have enough thump in their lineup if they're asking their number three hitter to bunt in the third inning. Like you, I think you uh, set it up pretty well. I think the fact that they had talked about it before the game, <laughs> kind of Moreno kind of went rogue right there and just tried to do what he thought was the best interest of the team. And you can't always rely on that because when you, when you give these uh, – uh, really uh, passionate speeches before the game. These players are going to take it to another level during the game. We don't want to just please and try to do the right thing. So I'm always wary of that. I've had it. I've had it with players in the past too, where they'll come up in a situation, you're struggling a little bit to score runs. Maybe things have been talked about before the game. And then uh, your player comes up and he bunts in a situation. You absolutely want him to swing the bat and you have to have that uh, talk with them afterwards. So I always think you should work with a disclaimer whenever you have that kind of fire and brimstone speech. Listen, yeah, but but uh, listen, uh, Moreno, when you come up to the plate right here, uh, I, you're, I'm not talking to you. I want you to swing the bat as an example. So, uh, yeah, I was surprised but not surprised if that makes any sense at all. Uh, the other part about it is, and it's always the outcome bias, who knows? He could have been into a double play. Could have been a ground ball to short, and all of a sudden there's two outs. You wish you had bunted. I mean, that's that's how the game works. It's not always going to be – you're not always going always to get the desired results you wanted because the other one had happened. I understand that. But just from purely from a strategical perspective, yes, I want him to swing the bat right there. Again, be careful when you have these meetings before the game with uh, players that really aren't experienced. And I'll tell you, for a matter of fact, even those that are, I've had it with like uh, uh, veteran players that have come up and bun in a moment like that, that I absolutely wanted them to swing the bat and again, the conversation ensued afterwards. Uh, last point, the uh, 2016 playoff, against the Dodgers uh, in L.A. We were we were like dead in the water. We couldn't hit. We couldn't do anything. That turned around on a bunt. That whole series turned around on a bunt. Uh, ben Zobrist unilaterally went up there and just popped a perfect, perfect little ba- bunt for a base hit down the third baseline and 
God, the, the floodgates open afterwards. So there's, there's so many different ways to look at this. And again, I want my guys to be able to do everything. But within a lineup, you guys hit homers. You guys hit the ball in the gap. You guys will be more creative with. You guys run. But um, you just can't do the one-size-fits-all. And again, be careful what you wish for and be careful how you present it. Yeah, that's well said. And uh, I, I, I agree with Tori before the game that it was important for Arizona to get out on board first. And he did anticipate a pitcher's duel of Aldi against Zach Gallon. It's exactly what we got in that game, at least through six innings. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea was good, but you're right. I think for a young player especially, and I, I'm sure players have done this with you, Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember uh, – Martin Maldonado did this um, during a game of the ALCS where you go up to one of the coaches or the manager and say, hey, what about a bunt if we're in this situation? You know, just to get that feedback, because otherwise, like you said, that thought is planted in your head before the game. Mm -hmm. And um, you just you're wedded too much to that that thought that's that's been emphasized before the game and not reacting to the game situation. Um, But listen, again, with home runs. You know, we all want diversity of styles again, but I got to tell you, this is now eight straight years that if you didn't finish in the top 13, basically the first half in Major League Baseball, the number of home runs hit, you are not winning the World Series. Arizona was 22nd in home runs. The last team that was below average home runs to win the World Series was the 2015 Kansas City Royals. The game is so different than what it was in 2015. Um, I didn't think it's too hard, Joe, to, to win games now because basically, you know, pitching is so good. It's hard to throw together multi-hit rallies. You better have that maybe one or two swings in the course of a game that's going to change the scoreboard. And Texas seemed to hit all their home runs with guys on base. That's another key component. Uh, but you talk about that 15 Royals. That was like the true definition of a lockdown bullpen. You talk about chore- uh, choreography. I mean, all um, they had to do in the sixth inning, this guy, seventh inning, that guy, eighth inning, that guy, ninth inning, that guy. So they were playing a five-inning game to get ahead. That's what they were just trying to do, and they did. And again, sometimes when you have that kind of, and I was going to reference that, that kind of pitching, you can be a little bit more uh, aware of just trying to play for a point now and then or just trying to grab that lead because uh, they're not hitting home runs against these guys, our sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth inning pitchers. So, it really does. A lot of that depends. I think the small ball stuff is does depend on how good your pitching and how good your defense is. Um, listen, I always I always uh, want to know who's on the mound for them, who's on the mound for us. Uh, I want to know what the state of my team is right now. I just know the uh, psychological where they at right now, just uh, mentally. How do they? How are they acting? How they? What kind of energy do we have when we come to the ballpark? All this stuff that nobody will ever know about is so um, vital regarding like when you're on a winning streak. Were you on a losing streak? Uh, how do you guys come out of this thing? I'm like so in touch with the feel of the group in the clubhouse and how that uh, determines the outcome of the game tonight and for the next maybe five or six days the next week. So all these things have to be considered there. Oh, and, and nobody's going to ever know unless you're in that clubhouse, you're, you're talking to the players and you have these kind of conversations. But all these things are important. I want it all. Like I said, I want it all. I want I want. Great pitching, I want great bullpen. I and why? Why wouldn't you? I mean, when you get a, a great balanced team, there's so many different ways you could win a ball game. <clears throat> and eventually, eventually, yes, you're going to have to have to meet great pitching. Uh, I, I think a superior bullpen, um, and I want an offense that does it all. And uh, I, yeah, I want to catch the baseball. So I mean, at the end of the year, kind of like that's what the, eventually what the Texas Rangers did. 
Yeah, you're right. And we can't forget, too, that team was in first place for most of the season. They, they had one stretch in August. Everybody, you know this, every, you had all your winning teams. You go through a funk at some point in the season. Theirs was a little bit longer. I think they went 10-20 and 20 at some point, lose the last day of the season to fall into a, a fifth seed rather than a division championship. Uh, but that, for the most part, was a first-place team for you know three-quarters of the season. That's a good baseball team. Uh, and they did kind of have it all, Joe. I mean, they did have speed. That's the guys who can run. They weren't necessarily a base-stealing team. Uh, their defense was exceptional. I think you saw that throughout the World Series. And uh, anytime you got Bruce Bochy, you know whatever their bullpen is, they're going to max out on uh, their efficiency, and they certainly did that. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't like it when, when everybody after a World Series says, hey, this is the way you have to win a World Series. Like right. back in 01, the Diamondbacks said Schilling and Johnson. It was like, oh, you have to get two big starters. Well, yeah, it helps, but like you said – you better be good across the board to, to win games in multiple ways. Pitching and defense, obviously the foundation. Uh, diverse offense, sure. But uh, I don't think there's one path to win a World Series. And the last point, I mean, um, you know, we haven't even talked about personalities and makeup and the group as a whole and how do they interact and all these, these, these little things that are actually very huge things that you have to nurture and cultivate during the course of the year starting in spring training. Um, I, I still love when a GM or a group really pays attention to makeup and, and who this guy is. Uh, and as an example, I heard your interview with Tommy Pham a couple of days ago. Um, you know, why Tommy Pham was so influential in this team getting as far as they did. And this is a guy that was kind of a role player for the, for the Mets and then eventually became a role player somewhat for the Diamondbacks. And it began uh, with the Cardinals after about seven years in the minor leagues. But this guy was the most influential guy within the group because of makeup and how he is, and how he acted in the clubhouse, and the work ethic that he demonstrated, and all this other uh, stuff, ancillary stuff that's hard to evaluate, but it's true. Um, so uh, I, I know I know Chris Young, and I know CY had to pay attention. I know Boach is from that ilk also. Uh, I, I, listen, overriding talent, yes, I want it. I want overriding talent. But also, you need the glue guys. We talked about the glue guys from the beginning of the year. And that's it has to have a little bit of all of that stuff in order to survive or or to be successful or play the last game of the year and win it. I love makeup guys, man. I love guys I could count on every day. I love guys that are accountable, that you could talk to them, and you're going to get it straight up, and you can be straight up with them. That's a big part of having a winning team too. Joe, I'm so glad you brought that up because after this break, I definitely want to talk about that. It's a huge advantage in this World Series. Makeup, experience, character, whatever you want to call it. The Diamondbacks might have been too young, and believe it or not, too fragile to win this World Series. I'll explain that right after this. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes 
and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book of Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Book of Joe. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Makeup, Joe, you know it when you see it. And to me, Chris Young, and you nailed this, absolutely put a premium on makeup when it came to acquisition of talent for that Texas Rangers team. Of course, you want talent. Begins You need guys who can play, right? Um, you don't have to. You're not going to win a World Series with a bunch of Boy Scouts on your team. Got to play. But you think about signing Bruce Bochy, as he told Bruce Bochy, who was on his recliner in Nashville when he called him, I don't want you to manage this team because I loved playing for you back with the Padres. I want you because you can establish a winning culture. This team had lost six straight uh, losing seasons, uh, had a terrible record in one-run games last year. Um, I believe they were 15-35. and 35. They did not know how to win. Bruce Bochy knows how to get that done. He goes and gets Mike Maddox. He's been a pitching coach for 42 years. Uh, he sits down for a breakfast with Will Venable, his Princeton teammate, and says, hey, how about Nathan Avaldi? Venable was a coach with the Red Sox, and Venable says this guy's a big-time winner. He's a leader. And, and Chris Young says, I need a leader for my pitching staff. I've got two pillars in the middle of the infield, and, and Seager and Simeon, 
everybody follows the way they play. I need a guy like that in my rotation. That was Nathan Avaldi. Everywhere you look around, Chris Young, you brought in Dayton Moore and his old school wisdom, Kansas City Royals. You talk about the 15 Royals, the way he built that team. Uh, he brought back a lot of former players, Nick Hunley, Michael Young, a lot of guys to have input in the way they ran this team. Every decision he made, I can tell you, he looked into and actually did the research on the background of these players so he had the right group of guys. That Texas team was such a tough-minded team. I saw that. Now I'll flip it to Arizona. Your team, Joe, started four guys in the World Series, 24 and younger. This Arizona team, the first team since your 16 Cubs to do that. Um, and I, I did talk to Zach Gallon about this, and you're right, Joe. This Arizona team didn't know the kind of pressure that they were in, kind of that youthful naivete, if you will. They just enjoyed the ride, take it game by game. I get it. Um, but I saw a team being down with that team in the clubhouse every day here in the World Series um, that didn't have that sort of experience and tough-mindedness to pull them through spots the way that Texas did. An example for you, when Christian Walker was thrown out of the plate running through the stop sign there in game three, even Torrey Lovello said his team let down. The air came out of the balloon. I saw it in that dugout there. There was no energy, as Torrey said, for three or four innings. When they didn't push runs across in game five early in the game, I felt the same thing. It's one of the quietest dugouts I've ever seen. Uh, they respond to when things go well. But the minute something doesn't go well, they kind of s- sit back. There's no one in that club, in that dugout, who's rallying the troops. I saw Cattell Marte move runners with a with a productive out in that game, a 0-0 game. He didn't come back to the dugout on the home plate side. He came back at the far end of the dugout, and there were very few guys who got up and said, hey, great job. <laughs> this is what wins games. I was shocked by the reaction. Really, the only one who's active in that dugout during the game is the manager, Tori Lovello. I mentioned earlier, Joe, he 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 has more conversations with players than anybody I've seen, uh, but I think he needs to. You mentioned Tommy Pham. He's a DH. He's getting ready for his bats. He does provide spark and energy, and um, you know he's so determined and he works so hard. Those are all great qualities, but in terms of a glue guy bringing this team together, I didn't see one there, Joe. I really didn't. And, um, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into body language in the course of a game. But I do think this team needs someone like that going forward because I love the talent base. They need, you know, a a Justin Turner. They need a Marcus Simeon. Uh, They need a Dexter Fowler. And if I'm Mike Hayes and the GM, I'm looking at that, putting this team together over the course of the winter. That's that's uh, well explained. I, I cannot agree with you more. And, and what you just said, that experience does matter. That's kind of what you were talking about there. And it does. It does. I know from my uh, personal perspective, the fact that when I eventually became manager of the Rays, all the experiences I had before that absolutely mattered. From the time I, I drove my car all over Arizona as a scout in uh, New Mexico and Kansas and Nebraska and Colorado, et cetera, all the way up to the point where I get in a dugout for the first time as a bench coach for Marcel in, what was that, 95, 96. And then you go all the way through that. You win a World Series as a bench coach, um, cry your eyes out, and then you get eventually get opportunities to interview for jobs. Don't get them, but you grow from those moments. Those moments. And then finally, I'm in a parking lot one day in 2005, and Andrew Freeman calls me up and asks if I'd like to be the what, fourth manager of the 
Tampa Bay Devil Rays at that time. All these experiences matter, man. And then you go out there and you're, you're listen, yeah, you're, you're nervous. You're, 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 I don't want to use the word scared, but you're nervous about everything. There's an anxiety component to it, but you fight through it. And eventually you get to the other side. And when you face difficult moments, you're able to deal with them much better than if you did not have all those experiences. At least I believe that. I know from a personal experience. So um, guys like this that just get there so quickly, they need they need more than just your manager in the corner yelling the whole game. They do need um, players within that group. I know Longo was there too, uh, but I, I know with with the with the Cubs, you're talking about that group. Whether it was David Ross, David Ross was standing on the top step of a dugout when Addison might have screwed up on the field. I remember it. I'm saying him because I saw it. He's walking off the field. David would go and greet him. Then I didn't have to say anything as he walked off the field. And then David would come back and say, listen, brother, thank you for doing that. However, just be careful. Don't go too hard because David had a tendency to do that sometimes. But I had that. I had, I had him. I had Montero. I had Lester. I had all these different guys, Dexter, uh, within the group. They were able to handle exactly what you're talking about. They had been there before. They were always calm in the moment. We could smile. We could laugh in a tough moment. Uh, we could prep in a way that we weren't um, – overly concerned because we, we felt like we we're going to win. We, we knew we were going to win. Um, that builds up over time. It just doesn't happen overnight. So you talked about makeup. I love the word fearlessness. I think the experience matters. And the last point, you said something about uh, things weren't going well, that they were just standing, sitting on their hands. One of the big topics for me prior to every playoff series was, remember, boys, things are not going to go well all the time. How we handle that moment is going to make the difference. And I'm really a big believer in that. So I, I wanted – that's a big part of my uh, pre-series uh, talk with the boys. Playoff-wise, I want them to understand that. Not like I'm the voice of doom, but just understand that it's not going to be perfect all the time. And how, would we, how we react to these non-perfect situations or moments is going, to, is going to be the difference maker. So all those things are summed up in what you just talked about. Yeah, and it reminded me, Joe, when you talked about playing the Yankees when you were with the Angels and you saw that look on their faces, mm-hmm. right, where, like, wow, we got them, mm-hmm. right? That's like, that's kind of the look I saw after the Walker play where he gets thrown out at the plate. And listen, um, I talked with Christian about that. He thought it was a difficult read, and his mistake was having a, a, a late read, a late break because it was a difficult read, Instead of owning the late break, he tried to make up for it. He tried too hard and just went all out thinking he's going to score the run. Comes around the bag. Tony Paris Chica, the third base coach. I love third base coaches that bring the guy around the bag, Joe. I don't like guys who throw their hands up before they get to the bag, before the ball is even handled cleanly. Yeah, I think he did the right thing. He also got down the line, which I love from a third base coach. You know, give yourself another beat there to let the play come out and then throw the stop sign up. In this case, though, Walker never looked up. You know, once he his head's down to touch the bag, he's got to pick up the coach at that point because then he would see the stop sign, would have plenty of time to get back to the bag, even if he came far around third base because the throw's going home. Um, that's just a mechanical, a mistake of mechanics there on Walker's part. But it really began with this decision by Walker that I got a late read. Now I have to make up for it to try to score. But I'm telling you, you, you reminded me of that with the face on the Yankees. After that mistake, first out is thrown out at the plate, uh, and it was a great throw by Garcia, by by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that same deflation at Arizona, and Tori Lavello, the manager, noticed it. 
and he noticed that, that it lasted for three or four innings in that game, that they just didn't recover. That's what I mean when I talk about them being fragile. It's not a makeup flaw. It's just a younger team that when things don't go right early in the game, it takes them a while to get their equilibrium again. And I think you saw that again in, in game uh, four, the blowout game where things just got out of hand. You saw a two-strike, two-out wild pitch. It bounced off Moreno, the heel of the glove. He's a little bit unlucky there. Joe, I thought he was in position to block the ball. Hits the heel, the glove goes off to the side. Those are daggers. I always hated that. You know, the two-out, two-strike wild pitch that puts a run in. You need to shut the game down right there. Arizona didn't. Five runs follow. Then the next inning, Walker kind of fumbles a ground ball that would have been the second out. And five runs follow after that. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about the fragility of of the Diamondbacks that just, you know, to adjust to something negative happening early in the game, it took them a while, if at all, to get to recover from those things. That's right. You got to turn the page uh, more quickly than that. And just regarding the base running play, one of the, my main edicts uh, when I when I do the tour of the bases as a coach, and we're talking about uh, actually in this situation was would be um, second to home. He who hesitates stops. That's the one thing I always wanted the uh, the runners to know that he who hesitates stops. In other words, if you don't get that good break, that natural movement, you just balls hit. I, I I flow right into it. I'm going. I'm going. But if you hesitate at all, that's a situation where you really got to be aware of not trying to get that extra base. And then you talked about zero outs. There was no outs. I mean, you don't want to make the first out at home plate. There's no way you want to make the first out at home plate. And I also believe the lateral movement by Garcia, I think, may have played into um, some of the decision making. Like you said, Tony did a great job at third base. I agree. He did everything textbook. And yes, the runner did not pick him up after he hit the bag again. All those things were were. Uh, Obvious. So two things, though, to me, you just don't go. I hesitated, so I stop at third base unless I really get away because the ball's been booted. And no outs. You just cannot make that first out at home plate. Uh, and we need to uh, need to talk about the manager, Bruce Bochy, by the way. Mm-hmm. By the way, Tori Lovello, I thought, did a great job. I, I really did think he did everything to get this team that won only, what, 84 games in the regular season mm-hmm. <laughs> into game five of a World Series. Just an amazing job. The, his energy – uh, his attention to detail, just so impressive. Uh, I think he absolutely got the most that he could out of that team. And that's, to me, that's job one of a manager, you know. And maybe you only have an 85-win team or an 84-win team, but make sure you get there. Uh, I think he did that. But on the other side, Bruce Bochy. I mean, I know you've gone up against him, Joe. You're actually the only manager to beat Bruce Bochy in a postseason series in his last 15 postseason series. That is just remarkable that this guy keeps winning postseason series. Um, I'll give you my take on Bruce, but I want your take because you've gone up against him, not just in the postseason, obviously, but in the regular season. What is it about Bruce Bochy that makes him such a winner? He's he's not afraid. I mean, that's, you know, there's a fearlessness factor. He has a method. You know, he has a, a game plan. He has a schematic about him, and that is, He's going to match up the bullpen. That's the primary thing that he does so well. And I think the teams that he's had, uh, they've done a nice job of giving him the yin and the yang out there, lefties and righties, people that could uh, flow back and forth. You have to stay ahead of that. You have to stay ahead of that. And we've talked about this and you brought it up. But part of that is having a strong enough or deep enough bench that you can answer the the movement with the uh, pitcher with another pinch hitter if it's necessary uh, to just – prevent him from always getting what he wants. It really comes down to that. You're really, 
you're really trying to uh, prevent that. And, and of course, they're, they're trying to prevent the same thing from the other side looking at you. So to me, it was always about with him, the bullpen. It's not, uh, you know, lineup construction. He was very um, normal. I mean, like he'll stack lefties like he did there. He had uh, Seager and then uh, Carter. Carter. They had them, he yeah, had them stacked. He had them stacked. He used to stack belt with uh, Crawford at times, whatever. He was never worried about stacking. If, uh, he has pretty... He was pretty consistent about uh, maintaining a, a, a same kind of a lineup, and his players always knew what to expect, and he always showed confidence in them. and And I think that was because he was um, uh, at kept the, the the front office at bay. He didn't have to worry about so much influence uh, because people are not going to like that. They're not going to like when you set it up uh, where there's three lefties. I had three lefties in right: Crawford, uh, Iwamura, and Pena for a time with the Rays, and of course I got flack for that. But I thought it was the right way to set it up in the beginning, and, and it actually did pay off. So I think all these things, Boach is kind of uh, able to make unilateral decisions. He's very, very good with the bullpen. You have to try to stay in advance of that and get what you're looking for. I mean, um, you know he's going to do this, so can I combat that? Or am I better off staying with where I'm at regarding my, my hitter coming up to the plate right now? Uh, that's where I see the strength. It's, it's his um, calmness. The fact that he is a combination of John Wayne and uh, who else? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator, something like that. I mean, he just, he's got this presence, presence about him that the players really feed off of. He's straightforward. He's funny. Uh, he's a good dude. But I think his main strength is in-game bullpen management, and you have to stay with him on that. Yeah, I think we've talked about this. I love the line from Tori Lovello that, you know, the rest of us, talking about managers, you know, I have access to all these binders and tablets and, you know, you look in the dugout and it's like uh, the New York Public Library. There's so much literature and information in there. Right. And he said Bruce Bochy is managing off the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. And if you watch him in the game, it's true. I mean, he's got very little except what's between his ears. And, uh, and you know, there's an old line in baseball. The scoreboard will tell you everything you need to know about how to play the game. Bruce Bochy, let me throw some numbers at you. Of course, that's his fourth World Series championship. He's only the sixth manager with four World Series titles. He's the first to do it with a second team. When he gets into these games, clinching situations, a chance to close out a series, his record is 17-5. and five. That's amazing. If he's in a one-run game, he's going to win that game. His uh, one-run game is now 20-10. and 10. And if it's a bullpen game, his relievers are 21 and 11. These are all numbers in the postseason, folks, where basically it is a coin flip. It's hard to win these games. If you're in the postseason and have a 500 record as a manager, that's pretty darn good. Um, And he's winning about 66% of the time, almost two-thirds of the game. Last thing on on Boach for me, uh, Joe, um, before the season, I always look at teams. I tell people this all the time. Every year except once as we've gone to the wild card in 95 every year, but one there's been a team that had a losing record the year before that winds up in the postseason. So teams turn around quickly, right? And on average, it's actually two per year. So every year I look, which team is going to be in the postseason that had a losing record last year. My first pick was the Texas Rangers, which lost 94 games last year. Two things turn around teams more than anything else. Number one, better run prevention. If you increase your run production, doesn't necessarily equate to turning around a team. If you decrease your, uh, how many runs you allow? Absolutely. The other thing is changing a manager. Managers do make a difference. 
And this is what I wrote about the Rangers going into this season. I said, this is a long shot because of how far they must improve. Remember, we're talking about coming back from 94 losses. Only eight of the playoff teams in 28 years turned around from 94 losses or more. Well, now you've got nine. But with a change in managers, Bruce Bochy, a major upgrade in run prevention, Jacob DeGrom, Nathan Navaldi, Andrew Heaney, the major's worst record in one-run games that is bound to, to improve, 15-35, and the ban on shifts. No team saw more of them or was harmed by them more than the Texas Rangers last year. Then Texas has the right profile to turn around. Listen, I'm not saying I knew they were going to win the World Series. It's going way too far. But they had them as a playoff team. And one of the big reasons was they found the right manager, a guy who's got the pedigree, knows how to win, and could get the most out of a team. And managers do matter. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'd have to agree with that. Uh, I mean, I've uh, had some success with the Rays and the Cubs in both situations. And actually, I really thought, just given a little bit more time, the Angels, we could have gotten that done there too. I, it does. It's it's uh, the culture shift, the philosophical shift. Uh, it's the ability to relate to your players. And, of course, if you have had success in the past, the cachet you've built up, uh, the players are more apt to listen to you. i got... So many guys coming into my office, like the uh, first with the Cubbies, uh, not so much with the Rays. That was my first gig, but with the Cubs, you get guys coming in. Just want to talk to you about, you know, your philosophy, what you've done in the past, how we're going to do it. What do you got for me here? And the same thing absolutely happened a lot with the uh, Angels. A lot of guys were coming into my office that first year, but it was the COVID year. Uh, but they, the players do recognize what you've done in the past, and um, they just they, they've, they've talked to other players, and so thus. Uh, that network's out there and guys want to talk to you and just really try to um, catch on to what, you, what you're all about and what you see um, unfolding. And, and really, a lot of times it's how do you see them specifically? So, yeah, I, I do believe that managers do make a difference um, uh, a lot, but it has to be in union lockstep with the front office. Uh, for instance, CY, uh, Chris Young and Boach could not have been uh, more closely aligned in this situation. Uh, it seemed like the same thing was occurring in Arizona. And that's why it's important for a GM to be able to hire his own manager. Uh, that's that's uh, paramount. I mean, I had that with the Rays with Andrew, and I had it with the uh, Angels with Theo, but I did not have that with the Angels. Started out with Billy Epler, uh, but then then it turned into um, you know Perry, and uh, obviously I was not Perry's guy. So all those things matter in regarding to setting this thing up uh, properly because you do you do have to have a, a close bond i think with the front office cuz things are again things are going to go badly they're not going to go well and how do you react to those moments that's the separator uh because from the field perspective you need to have that backing from up top you have to feel it and from up top down you have to have this conversation daily it's pretty much a daily conversation where uh you are working up the same sheet of music with the ability to disagree that is very very important and I really believe I've had that uh, in most uh, spots that I've been. Yeah, most important relationship in baseball, no question about it. Tori Lovello and Mike Hazen, they go back to their days in Boston together. Mm -hmm. And I think Tori would tell you he's a better manager now in his seventh year than he first started out. He is a experienced manager. Mm -hmm. and, and, of course, Boach and, and Chris Young go back to when Chris was pitching for him with the Padres. And that relationship there is, is, just, is just wonderful. We're going to take a quick break and uh, – We'll have some closing thoughts on that situation. Managers, experience, what wins in the postseason right after this. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... 
or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. You know, it's interesting, Joe, with Bruce Bochy, you know, he wasn't going to come back to any job. You know, he did tell me that, you know, he was coaching the France, the French national team. Of course, he was born in France, um, preparing for the World Cup and the WBC. And he actually got back into the dugout for a tournament in Germany. And after being out of the game for two and a half, three years, he got that itch back. And we got back home stateside, back to Nashville, sitting his recliner that's when Chris Young called and I think he feeling that itch of wanting to be back in the dugout um, Chris Young called at the right time now it didn't end really well for him with the Giants by the way Um, I didn't think at the time I remember talking to Boach a couple of times that year I didn't think he was done with baseball that year I know he said he was it was going to be his last year but you can tell when someone still has something left in the tank and I felt that with Bruce Bochy and I think when we're getting back to what you, you talked about, Joe, the relationship between the, the GM and the manager, it wasn't good with Farhan Zaidi. I mean, one of the first games that Bruce Bochy managed, he, he stuck with a left-on-left pinch hitter because the, the pitcher on the mound was having trouble throwing strikes to lefties, um, and it didn't work out. I forget who the batter was. I think this is opening day. And um, and Farhan come down and asked him after the game, why are you hitting the lefty against the lefty? I mean, this is Bruce Bochy. 
And Boach flat out told me the managing wasn't as fun in that last year. He kind of lost that joy because he lost his autonomy to run a game. Chris Young hires him. It's one of the first things that they talked about, and it was one of the quickest conversations they have. Bruce Bochy asked, do I have the autonomy to run the game? And Chris Young flat out told him, listen, we'll give you all the information that you want, but the game is yours. And Chris Young has been true to his word, and Bruce Bochy has thrived doing that. Uh, I look around the game, Joe. I think it's a lesson for a lot of these general managers. Uh, you know, We've had Dusty Baker. We've had Brian Snicker. We've got now Bruce Bochy. Um, experience matters. Allowing guys to run a game matters. You know, everybody's out there looking for the next hotshot manager who's never managed before because you want to be, you know, classified as a genius that you identified the next phenom manager. Great. Knock yourself out. Um, but I still think having a guy in the dugout who's been there, done that with a winning pedigree still matters in this game. And I think as teams look around now and we're in that period now where you'll see now what five openings around major league baseball being filled in the next couple of weeks let's see how many pay attention to that um you know people say baseball is a copycat game i don't actually believe that i mean in some cases it is but um listen if you're looking at the game the last few years and what wins you know experience and it's not just the manager i mean listen they went out chris young went out and hired mike maddox 42 years as a pitching coach hey he was done with the cardinals reached out to him. Mike Hazen reached out to uh, Tori Lovello, reached out to Brent Strom when Brent Strom was done with the Astros, say, we want you. He's 75 years old. He's as good as any pitching coach in the business. Uh, both staffs had excellent coaching staffs, a lot of experience. Um, we'll see if that matters here in this go-round of uh, teams looking for managers and coaches. Listen, I cannot agree with you more on that. Uh, the staff, uh, that's really – Man, uh, it's gotten to the point where uh, groups almost believe that anybody can be a, a coach in the big leagues, and I really uh, strongly disagree with that. And to get back to the experience, the fearlessness, that on a daily basis, the tough conversations, the honest conversations uh, that are just uh, really, you know, for somebody without that experience, having those difficult conversations is just not easy. And uh, from a player's perspective, I, I believe that if you have somebody with some cachet and they have that conversation with you, you're going to be more readily acceptable of it. So I like the idea of an experienced staff with an experienced manager. Absolutely. And it's a difference maker. Um, you know, from a manager's perspective, me talking um, in a dugout, when you have people that you can honestly walk up to and ask them their opinion, whether it's during the game, after the game, before the game. And, uh, if you know this guy has been around and done a few things and he's very good at this craft of coaching, wow, what an advantage that is for you in the group. And another thing about that, I think it's really uh, well done when you keep your coaching staff for a period of time as a group. I think that really benefits the organization. It absolutely benefits that group of players on an annual basis. And then it's going to permeate throughout the rest of the organization. And the final point, I like it when it's when uh, when you promote from within the organization on guys that have really earned the right from the minor leagues to get to your big league team. They've done the time. They've done different things. They've been on different levels, varied jobs. And that, to me, is the kind of guy you want there. Uh, somebody that's uh, been in-house for a bit, hopefully, possibly. If not, then just somebody with great experience that maybe there's a tie with the manager or the GM or whomever. Last point, I like when the manager gets to hire his own coaching staff, too. I think that's important. Finally, um, with all this stuff you're talking about, all the information, I, I, I'll say it again. The primary reason for all this analytical information should be, A, uh, acquisitional. This is the time of the year when 
to me, a really good analytical staff could shine by finding players that maybe other teams aren't seeking because you're able to look under the hood and evaluate um, strongly items that you consider important within your group that maybe somebody else is overlooking. I love it from that. That was like my favorite thing when talking to the analysts was that. Um, they talked about when we got Logan Forsyth. I remember the conversation when Andrew called me in the wintertime in, in Long Beach and he says, uh, how do you feel about Fernando Rodney? And I'm thinking, wow, I mean, this guy's like all over the place. He's probably like between 35 and 40. I don't even know. We really like him. And then he goes on to have like the best year ever. And then uh, Joaquin Benoit, I like Benny too. Look what Benny did that year. So that was that's the genius of a really good uh, front office is getting the right guys in the building, I think. Then after that, the pregame stuff, over overblown, overplayed. It really is a superstar when it comes to defense. There's no question. I, I want you to tell me exactly where to put my defenders. I'm not going to argue with that at all. That really – this goes back to the race. That's where we really um, did well and where we really ascended was because, like you talked about, run prevention – that was the big thing because we couldn't get the run makers. We could get the run preventers. And that was a big part of the ascension of the Rays. And that truly still, I believe, is a big part of their DNA. I love that part about it. So we got all of that within that and beyond. I do like game planning from a pitching perspective. Game planning. I don't like edicts. I like game planning. I like it. Um, and again, I talk about Mike Barzello again. Uh, and we've talked about Danny Heron a guy that can really break down the opposition and create nuggets for the for the pitcher in a meeting or the pitchers in a meeting, catcher to hold on to, and then easily transmi- uh, transmiss- transmiss- transmittable uh, during the course of the game from the dugout to the catcher. These are the kind of things that I think is where this stuff shines. Now, when it comes down to you know lineups, uh, bullpen management, all this stuff, I promise you, if you've done this long enough, if you've been a manager or a coach in a minor league, whatever, for 40 years, you'll know how to work your bullpen and you'll understand the matchups and you'll know what's the best slot to put somebody in. And when it comes down to your lineup, you have the creativity to know what you're seeing, when it needs to be changed, when it needs to be the same. Does it need to be left, right, left, right? Or does it need to be uh, right, left, right, right, left, just in order to protect and right and the two righties behind him in order to protect the left-handed hitter? All these things you can do. So, Yes, I lo- the analytical part is really important. It does not need to be part of the game. And in the sense that when CY told Boach, it's your game, that's the way to do it. Prior to that, give me as much information as you possibly can. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up with Boach especially. Um, you know, he's, listen, I, not that anybody is infallible. I mean, we all love to second guess, right? Mm-hmm. But when Bruce Bochy makes a move late in the game, I tend to immediately think, all right, he's got his reasons for doing it. It's mm-hmm. probably the right move. I'm not sure if it'll work out, but right. uh, he's been that good for that long, right? Mm-hmm. So in game number four, he brings in his closer, Jose LeClerc, and he had him up in the bullpen in a game that was 11-5 to five in the ninth inning. And I, I heard people talk about, oh, you don't want to give the team another look at your closer. Why get him up? You may have him for less uh, the next day because that'll be three days in a row. Baloney. He had a chance to close out a World Series win. You know how precious those are? You don't mess around with them. Mm-hmm. And once you have him up, you're more likely to get him into the game. It's exactly what Bruce Bochy did. Was it a save situation? No. But he wasn't messing around with a World Series game. And guess what? He knows that Jose LeClerc has got a rubber arm, likes to pitch three days in a row, 
wasn't going to be extended where it was going to affect anything about game five. And you know what happened in game five? He didn't need Jose Leclerc. <laughs> and what happened in game five is he puts Josh Spores out there. This is a guy who was DFA'd by the Dodgers just two years ago. And the, the Rangers picked him up in an under-the-radar minor league transaction after he was DFA'd. Now Bruce Bochy brings him into this World Series game in the seventh inning. And guess what? He left him in there. Why did he leave him in there? Because he was throwing the ball well, the same way he left Madison Bumgarner in to finish out the 14 World Series. He's paying attention to what he's looking at. So Josh Spores, a guy who had one career save, saved the clinching game of a World Series. So now you look at Bruce Bochy's World Championships. How did they end? One was Brian Wilson. One was Sergio Romo. One was Madison Bumgarner. And now we have Josh Spores. I don't think that was scripted, Joe. He paid attention in game four. He had a chance to close out the game with his closer. Don't mess around with it. Non-save situation. Bang. Puts him in the game. Game over. Still had him for game five. Didn't need him because he saw that Josh Spores had the game in hand and stuck with this kid. Uh, I mean, that's Bruce Bochy to me, watching him manage those two games. Part of the concern with the clerk there, too, is if I don't put him in the game, now I'm going to have to put him in the game later uh, with a more stressful situation because maybe he didn't have really a lot of faith and this other guy that he may want to put in there, because that happens also, where you try to you try to stretch it or get through it this way, but you end up eventually having to warm up this other your your guy eventually anyhow, and he might have had that in the back of his mind too. So yeah, listen, when you have a chance to put your foot on the neck in this situation, you put the foot on the neck. That's that's as simple as it is. I I cannot agree with them more. And you pointed it out. You have no idea what's going to happen the next day. You have no idea. And furthermore, the clerk having the ability easily, the ability to go three days in a row. That's something that I've argued with uh, different uh, folks regarding bullpen management. That's why it's important to talk to and understand each and every one of your relief pitchers. Uh, talked about Rafael Soriano with the Rays. Rafael comes in my office uh, one day. So I, I listen, I could, some days I feel better or, or worse on the second day, but I feel great on the third day. So I pitches one night, Next day he comes in not so good, but the assumption is he only pitched one one day in a row. So let's let's get him two days in a row here. So then you say no, he can't pitch on the third day. He says if I come in here and I tell you I'm good on the third day, I'm good. So we did it. We did it without any any problem whatsoever. He had a great year for the race. So it's so important. All these nobody's the same. They treat everybody as though they're the same. Uh, they're the same China doll. They're not. Everybody's graded differently. Pay attention to them. Talk to them. Watch them. And I know this year with uh, Chappie, the second time, two days in a row, I guess, was not as fruitful. But who knows? It could be an anomaly. The guy's still throwing 100 miles an hour, but he's he's been pitching for a while. Just know your guys. Talk to your guys. Pay attention. And then make determinations on an individual basis and not as a group. Well said. Just to wrap things up, the Rangers are world champions because they were the better team. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought Evan Carter really lengthened their lineup. That kid is, and we'll talk about this on future podcasts, Joe. He really reminds me of young Don Mattingly with speed. Mm -hmm. This, you know, slope shoulder kid that Mm -hmm. just, he covers everything. Great idea of the strike zone. I mean, he just murdered fastballs, especially that entire series. I mean, that's a 21-year-old kid who was in the minor leagues in July who's hitting third in your lineup in the World Series. Just amazing. Uh, tough-mindedness of that team. Um, you know, Adolis Garcia and Max Scherzer get hurt, and they go out there and they, they're up 10 nothing, three innings into the next game and <laughs> score 11 runs. Mm-hmm. Nothing bothered this team. 11-0 and 0 on the road in the postseason. 
Not sure if we'll ever see that again. That is hard to do, folks. 11-0 when they score first. They never let a game get away. So deeper lineup, tough-minded team, veteran manager. That's that's your Texas Rangers, a team that flat out earned this in the postseason. Uh, that sounds like a template to follow there. If you want to, if you want to try to replicate uh, for those that did not win this year, um, it's it sounds simple, but not as easy to put together. A lot of it has to come down to how you, your worldview as as a baseball executive and what you perceive to be important. And again, it's going to be. A lot of that's based on uh, who you surround yourself with and the kind of information or intel you get on a daily basis. And that's that's what you're going to follow. I understand that. And of course, revenue. How much money do I have to spend? Uh, allocate. Uh, how many wrong decisions could we make? How much money can we afford to make a wrong decision with also? <laughs> that that matters a lot. So Yeah, uh, that matters a lot. Hey, I'm glad you said, uh, by the way, that player-centric. You know, when I think about Chris Young, by the way, uh-huh. he's only the third person ever to win a world series as a player and as an executive the old relief pitcher johnny murphy uh with the yankees and then won a the 69 title with the mets and stan usual wow actually won a uh, title as a gm of the cardinals um the only three i didn't know that to play and win a world series ring and then as an executive and it, it was a player centric operation that chris young ran We'll see if that catches on. And we've talked about this before. I told you, he told all his analytics guys, I don't want you in the clubhouse, in the lunchroom, in the weight room, unless you have specific business to do. That's their space. And Chris Young told me, he said, I think I scared those guys. (laughs) because that one of the first laws I laid down in spring training. He just didn't want them hanging around literally their space. So that player centric worldview from Chris Young, we'll see if that catches on. Um, but uh, that was not a small thing and why the Rangers won as well. I totally agree with that. That's exactly right. That's what I'd been talking about all along. And again, uh, people have to understand this. I want, you want the best analytical group money can buy within your organization. Absolutely. And it starts right now, November acquisition of what are we going to get in season? I need to know where to set my defenders. I need to know where I want to pitch some people. And then otherwise, uh, if there's some really cool nuggets, let me hear about it. But understand there's a lot of stuff there that any real baseball guy that's been doing it for a while, he could set a lineup, like I said. He could run a bullpen. He could do all those different things if he's been doing it long enough. Uh, We don't need as much intel or information there as some people may think. So that's where this, this group shines. And I've had great relationships with my analytical staffs everywhere I've been. I've enjoyed the conversation. I've learned a lot. I learned a lot, and that started with Andrew. Andrew taught me a lot. Andrew was all over my butt early on for not matching up my bullpen more often, but I just didn't see the point because the bullpen wasn't that good, and I was just trying to go with who I perceived to be the better guy at that time, whether he's right or left-handed. And then you go, we, we get further along, and then we had better options, and it began in 2008 with J.P. Howell and Grant Balfour being middle-inning closers, and that really opened my eyes to a lot about the middle part of the game and also the part where – you don't have to wait to bring somebody in the game if it's a high leverage situation. You get the right guy in the moment and, and don't worry about the next couple innings because hopefully they'll take care of themselves. So I learned a lot from Andrew and Theo in the group in Chicago, same thing. And then eventually uh, there were some really good analytical dudes in uh, uh, Anaheim also. Just to, like I said, the point is know where you belong and, and how to um, distribute, disseminate this information. And when that's done properly with the right kind of uh, 
method like CY employed there, you're going to have a real unified group. And that's what you want. You want a unified group, top to bottom. You want the the the, uh, the staff, the, the coaching staff manager to really be in lockstep with this analytical group. And in order to do that, you have to really set some boundaries like you just talked about. And when you do do that, you're going to get something that works really well, just i.e. the Texas Rangers in 2023. The last thing for me, Joe, I know the television ratings weren't great. I think that was expected going in. Um, mm-hmm. Listen, you had two surprise teams. And, you know, the star power, if you will, was not off the charts and in not just in baseball, but in society now we're more star and celebrity driven than ever before. And um, people are just not warming up to cute little narratives like, you know, coming from two years ago, losing more than 100 games and going to the World Series as both teams did. I get that. But on a personal level, I can tell you it was a pleasure dealing both of these teams. I mean, the front offices, the managers to the players, um, the way they accommodated us, the way they made themselves available, um, in-game interviews, you know, Tori Lovello doing that with me each and every game. Uh, it was funny that one game when they were down 10 nothing, I, I took a pass, a hard pass. I'm talking to the manager at that point in game. And, and Tori complimented me the next day for my court awareness. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I just on a personal level, I have to thank both these teams. The PR staffs were just amazing. Um, just from a logistical and, and uh, cooperate, cooperation point of view, these teams were off the charts. And, you know, despite ratings, I, I think it was a good show for baseball. Listen, we always want seven games. But think about this. This was the first World Series played under these new rules. The first World Series played with a pitch timer. And how often did you hear the pitch timer mentioned? Almost never. It, it succeeded. It faded into the background. We had our first World Series game after 37 straight games going three hours or more. That was played in under three hours. I think the pace was good. Uh, and the, the best part was it did fade into the background. It did not affect play or players whatsoever. So this new world order that we have with the pitch timer, it's here, folks. It's, it's established. I know there's a lot of rumblings. Hey, they, you got to give this, these players more time in the postseason. No, you don't. It's a good thing. There's no reason to go back from where we are right now. We continue to move forward. Um, so ratings aside, I, I thought it was a good showcase for major league baseball and sort of this new generation that we're entering now. That's a good point. I mean, I, I do love the pace clock. I think that's the superstar. Like I've said before, um, I think that's awesome. And then the, the assistant to the superstar, uh, pace clock would be the pitch comp device. Those two items to me are the, the real, uh, winners with all of this. I know stolen bases are up based on the number of throwovers to first base, I think. My, my opinion with the with the pace of the game being what it is right now, uh, I would uh, take away that uh, the, the throw over rule the first base. I would eliminate that. You already got the bigger bases. Um, you've already uh, constructed a method to bring the time of the game down to where it's more palatable. And we all agree with that. So now let's just let the, um, the runner at the first the pitcher to be able to control the runner at first base like he normally had in the past. And I'm still um, <laughs> still not a fan of the three reliever rule, uh, three hitter rule for the relievers. And uh, it, you talk about matching up; it makes it much more difficult. And that's that also speaks or screams to offseason acquisition pitching wise, getting more neutral relievers, guys that handle both sides of the plate. And eventually, uh, there was no, but uh, never really, really got, wasn't uh, profound. But runner at second base. I mean, to me, the all of these rules were made, I think, uh, to impact or affect 
uh, the speed or the, the the pace of the game. That's been taken care of with the clock um, and now with the pitch comp. So I would just I would reconsider some of the other things. That's my opinion. I respect that. Uh, I don't think they're going to change the rules because they like where it's at, but I respect the opinion. And uh, as I always like to say, Joe, this is the most interesting baseball podcast anywhere. You're hearing Joe Madden, three-time manager of the year, World Series winner with the Cubs, give you an insight what's going on in the dugout. I'm down there literally in the dugout giving you stuff behind the scenes. You're not going to find this stuff anywhere else. So if you stick around with us throughout this postseason here, um, we'll probably get on some Texas Rangers here to talk about their view of their championship. You've got the Shohei Otani free agency sweepstakes. Who better to talk about that than one of his managers, Joe Madden? Um, we'll be all over that and everything else that happens, uh, managerial changes, trades. Um, for us, season's not over. It's kind of restarting again in a new and different way. Um, so in the meantime, that's a lot to look forward to. But for now, we've got our closer, our Josh Spores mm. to close it out, World Series edition. <laughs> Joe Madden, what do you got? That's got multiple innings today, buddy. But if I'm going to go multiple innings, then I have two. I'll give you a two. All right. Two. Love yeah. it. Because I, I, I'm like beating my brains out here. I don't think I've used these yet. I'm, I'm pretty sure I have not. Uh, and if I have, uh, please. But I think they're germane. Um, and I love this from uh, Michelangelo. They both are. And this one was like one of my paintings. But a man paints with his brains, not with his hands. Um, you know, I, I love that. I mean, whether you talk about playing the game itself, uh, the fact that you get out of your own head and you just play the game and uh, you see what's in front of you and you react to it. So uh, it's all it's all about the this, this strong mental method that we employ. And that's the difference between success or non-success. And then genius is eternal patience. Um, and again, I really dig on that because you talk about uh, organizations like these two um, getting their butts kicked last year and all of a sudden they find themselves playing the last game of the year. There's a patient component to that, that you have to really believe in what you're doing and see it all the way through. So Michelangelo, one of my favorites, um, lived to be 89 years of age back in the day during the Renaissance period. God, he, there wasn't that many great specialist doctors around at that no. time. I wonder what he ate. <laughs> But he's always walking, walking up and down scaffolds. That had to be uh, good for his health, too. Yeah. Uh, when you mentioned that patience there, I, it kind of blew me away after the game. I, I spoke with Mike Maddox on the field. This is a guy who's been in professional baseball for 42 years. Mm. And this was the first time he won the World Series. And he and I asked him what it meant to him. And he, he literally got choked up. He got very emotional about it. This is as as experienced and hard-bitten a professional pitching coach as you'll ever find. There's nothing like it. Joe, you've been there. You know what it feels like to work your whole life to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, Some never get there. Some get there and don't win. And the very lucky ones get there and actually win it. And uh, you have felt it. I saw it in the eyes of Mike Maddox. I saw Marcus Simeon crying in the arms of his father after the game. There's nothing like it, folks. I mean, we get to watch it every year, but those who actually participate in there and come out on the right side of it, there's just nothing like it. And I'm sure, Joe, it's a feeling that never ends. May all your surrealisms come true. That's what you just talked about. It's it's, it's nothing like it. I cried like a baby, too, every time. Uh, it's two winners, one loser, but uh, it's so emotional. And all the work you put in for your through your entire life to get there, you think about it in a nanosecond, and it's very powerful. Congratulations, Texas Rangers, your 2023 World Series champions. Well earned, guys. And thanks to you, Joe. This has been fun. Nicely done, Tommy. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. 
The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.